Do you have a pension and need to decide if you should take a lump sum or lifetime monthly payments? Well, that's a hard decision. There's a lot that goes into it, but I'm going to help walk through the pros and cons and give you a framework for how to best make that decision. And this, the third episode of the Retirement Planning Education Podcast. Welcome to the Retirement Planning Education Podcast, where you can learn all about IRAs and Roth IRAs, employer retirement plans, taxes, Social Security, Medicare, Portfolio Withdrawal Strategies, Annuities, Estate Planning, and much more. And now here's your host, Andy Panko. Welcome everyone and thank you for listening to the Retirement Planning Education Podcast. We got a good one today. Today's topic is about taking a pension as a lump sum versus a lifetime stream of payments, you know, an annuity, if you will. Now, throughout this conversation, I'm going to use the word pension to refer to the lifetime payment option. Now, it's a bit of a misnomer because pension is really just the plan in general. Uh, Whether you choose to take it as a lump sum or take as lifetime payments, they're both a pension. But I'm going to use the word pension to refer to the um, opting to take the lifetime payments as opposed to the lump sum. So for those of you who, who do work at a place that has a traditional, what's called defined benefit pension, meaning you work for a certain amount of years and there's some formula that says based on your years of service and top three years of earnings and some percentage and whatever, the your, your employer will give you a lifetime payment of X amount of dollars per month for the rest of your life. If you have one of that, that's a, again, a defined benefit pension. If you have one of those, well, well good for you, first of all, because they're uh, increasingly hard to come by people who who have been at the same place for decades may potentially have it especially federal employees municipal employees things like that but private companies private employers um, really hard to come by at this point you know if you're just starting working somewhere just in the workforce chances are uh, you, you will not have a pension available to you but if you do have one great however time's going to come where there's a real tough decision to be made when you're on the you know the the edge of retirement and you have to decide this pension that I have I can take the lifetime payments and there's going to be a few different payment options I'll, I'll I'll discuss through those or you can forego getting lifetime payments and take a lump sum now this is this is hard to make and there's a lot of things that go into this decision which I will walk through today but um, it, it's important to do this, to make this decision, to think about it thoroughly. You have to make this decision in the context of the rest of your life and financial picture. You, you can't look purely in isolation at just the pension, just a lump sum number, and make your decision there because you're, you're doing yourself a tremendous disservice. And the answer to whether you should take the lump sum or the traditional payment pension, it, it, there is no right answer. There is no universal answer. It's going to depend on your facts and circumstances, your risk tolerance, your income needs, your other financial assets. It's going to depend to some extent on the company or employer behind the pension. It also uh, partially impacted by where interest rates are and where they may potentially go in, in the near term. So the answer for you is going to be different than the answer for your friend or your coworker. So, so don't make this decision based on what your friend did or some, you know, some other random person in, in your company did. You have to look at it specific to you. Another reason why this is hard is it's not an apples to apples comparison. Granted, people try, but it is so far from a fair and valid comparison to look at an investable lump sum versus a lifetime stream of guaranteed payments that won't run out. Now, I, I'll say that with a, with an asterisk at the end, and I'll discuss why. 
but assume for now these payments are guaranteed and, and you know they're not going to be reduced or not going to go away. These aren't similar animals. You know, th- this lump sum where you're free to do with it as you please versus this social security, you know, annuity like stream of income are very different. Now, it doesn't mean there's not a way to try to equate the two, at least financially speaking. And in fact, that that's what the lump sum is. That's your pension plan administrator doing what's called an actuarial valuation, which is fancy speak for financial math. They're doing a valuation to say if you have you know, X amount of monthly payment per month for the rest of your life. We're going to assume your life expectancy is whatever age. And then based on the current level of interest rates, we can come up, there's a formula they'll have. We can come up with what present value lump sum is financially, you know, AKA actuarial, uh, actuarially equivalent to that lifetime stream of payments. So there is a way to equate the two, but again, it's really not that simple of a comparison. You you have to look at so many other things in your life, which which I'll talk about. A lump sum is an investment. It's a traditional investment. You can do with it as you please. There's lots of things that could go right or could go wrong with it. A pension is is basically uh, insurance, if you want to think about it that way. It's not really an investment. It's insurance, specifically longevity insurance. And what do I mean by that? Longevity insurance, longevity refers to how long you may live. Longevity insurance is a is a way of saying whether you have a pension, social security, a traditional annuity, you can't outlive those. They'll last as long as you do. Even if you live to your 120, you'll still have them. So these things are sort of like insurance against you, you living too long. Think about life insurance. Life insurance is... To, prov- to financially provide in case you die too soon. Pensions, annuities, social security are the opposite. It's, it's longevity insurance. They're there to help financially support you if you live too long. You know, it's the opposite of life insurance. So anyway, in, in, traditional investments don't have this longevity insurance concept. Sure, they can grow over time. They, they hopefully grow over time, but there's no guarantees. Whereas with these pensions, uh, you know, there, there is some underlying consistency, stability, guarantee. Now, a properly invested lump sum, uh, it, you know, the, the past is no guarantee of future results, but historically, statistically speaking, pro- from a probability point of view, if invested correctly, a, a well-invested lump sum should likely ultimately be the better decision from a pure dollars and cents perspective over the long term. But again, no guarantees, whereas with the pension, there is a guarantee. So that's one of the main reasons why you, you can't really equate the two and, and try to make an apples to apples comparison with the two. With the pension, you know exactly where you're going to get. The payment's going to come in like clockwork every month, X amount of dollars for the rest of your life. It's that simple. So so let's walk through a little more formally the, the pros and cons. Now I'm going to view it from the perspective of taking the lump sum. This isn't to bias you or your decision, but I, you can you can view it from the perspective of the traditional payments or view it from the perspective of the lump sum. Just to be consistent, I decided to quote these pros and cons from the perspective of taking a lump sum. So let's get into it. The first pro, and, and these are just sort of the, the main pros and cons that, that I, I think are out there. Not to say this is comprehensive and sure there may be other uh, smaller items to consider, some things maybe specific to your your plan, you know, your particular employer and what they offer. But generally speaking, uh, the, the, these are the big points that, that everyone will have to consider when making this decision. So the first pro of taking a lump sum is simply flexibility. You can take the money and do with, do with it whatever you want. You can save it, you can invest it, you can spend it, 
You can donate it. You can leave it to heirs, et cetera. Yeah, and if you invest it, you can invest it however you choose. When you, when you take a traditional pension, you have zero control or discretion or flexibility over how much money you get, what's done with the money behind the scenes supporting that pension. You, know, you don't necessarily care as long as your checks come every month, right? So substantially more flexible when you take the lump sum. And as I mentioned before, uh, statistically, you know, historically speaking, a, a well-properly invested lump sum using the past as a, as, a, as a guide for what the future may do, again, with no guarantees, a well-invested lump sum should, could very likely do you better financially than a traditional pension. But, but again, no guarantees. That, that's the big thing to consider. No guarantees versus guarantee. You know, that, that's the main overarching difference between lump sums and traditional pensions, you know, stream of, stream of payments. Uh, so that's the second pro. You know, statistically, historically speaking, probably a better chance of uh, doing, doing better financially with a lump sum than, um, you know, than a traditional pension. But again, zero guarantees behind that. The third pro is you could potentially leave a larger legacy. Now, legacy is just financial planners speak for what you want to happen to your stuff after you die, who, who you want it to go to, how much you want to leave and to whom, you know, et cetera. If you take a pension, traditional uh, monthly pension, at a minimum, th- there will be payments for the rest of your life, but generally there's there's going to be multiple payment options you can choose, including some options that will have at least some payout to your spouse, you know, monthly recurring payout to your spouse, if you're married, uh, to your spouse, if you pass. Then after both of you pass, you know, you and your spouse, that's it. Rarely is there anything left. Is there any continuity of payments to anyone else? So when you and your spouse are gone, that's it. You know, the money stops. It doesn't keep coming in for your children or your friends or your church or your whatever. Whereas with the lump sum, if you take it and, and you die with some non-zero amount of lump sum, you know, of, of money left, then that money could be left to your heirs or your beneficiaries or, you know, whoever you want to leave it to. A pension, you don't have that. You know, at best, your spouse gets some payment after you're gone. But uh, after your spouse then goes... That that's usually it. Now I have seen some pensions where um, a non-spouse could be designated as the one who will continue getting payments upon your death. But I'm uh, not to say they don't exist. But I haven't seen something where you get payments and then your spouse, if you predecease your spouse, and then if and when your spouse dies, you know some lump sum or, or some payment continuation goes on for for your heirs. Um, I, I, again, I haven't seen it. Not to say it's not possible, but if it is possible, it's it's exceptionally rare. The other pro, and this won't hold true for all pensions versus lump sums, but uh, most pensions, at least those from private employers, usually don't have any sort of inflation increase mechanism. So if you retire, you take the traditional pension payment of, I'm just making up a number, $4,000 a month. That may sound like a decent amount of money now, you know, when you're 65, but if you live to 90, 95, 4,000 bucks a month may not be that large, depending how much inflation we have over the next you know, 30, 30 plus years. So with a lump sum, you take that, again, invested wisely, invested well, there's a much uh, probability, you know, likely speaking, there's a there's a better chance that that lump sum will uh, do well or do better with inflation than a fixed monthly payment from a traditional pension. Now, some pensions like those of federal employees, if you have the FERS, F-E-R-S pension, or if you're of an age where, where you have the CSRS pension, they both have inflation adjustments to them. 
They may not necessarily keep up with actual inflation, but nonetheless, there is some sort of inflation mechanism. And some other municipal and you know uh, other public employer pensions may have that as well. In, in the in the private employer world, it's not very common. I, I've seen some where it was an option to get a pension increase, but all else equal, that's going to lead to a lower payment amount than uh, than what you get if you took the fixed no inflation payment. So those are the four pros of taking a lump sum: more flexibility. Uh, possibly likely a better chance of, it, of ultimately doing better for you financially, ability to leave a larger legacy, and better chances of keeping up with inflation, which I guess that fourth one kind of ties into the second one, you know, chances of, of, of it doing better financially over the long term. So I don't really know why I split that out into a fourth one, but I did. Let's talk about the cons now. So the cons of taking a, a lump sum. They, they all sort of boil down to this, and this is a biggie. You can outlive a, a, a lump sum. That's its main con. And and the other cons I have really are sort of derivatives and offshoots of this. But again, you cannot outlive a pension. It'll last as long as you do and potentially keep on living for the life of your spouse. You take a lump sum. When it's over, it's over. You know, when when that money's gone, it's gone. There's there's no getting it back. If it runs out when you're 80 and you end up living until 90, 95, well, well, that can be problematic. Whereas you can't outlive the the pension, traditional pension, because again, a pension is longevity insurance. It's not an investment. Do not view it as an investment. It's uh, more uh, more like insurance. So that's the big con. You can outlive it, which, you know, that could be a catastrophic scenario if you didn't plan accordingly. Um, this, this, again, as I mentioned, these next few all sort of tie into that, but you may spend it down too quickly, especially if you're what's known as a spend thrift. You know, you, you have uh, difficulties reining in your expenses and, and sort of spending more than, than you know you probably should. By having a traditional pension, in some sense, that helps kind of limit and regulate your spending because you're getting a paycheck. And if you can limit yourself to not spend more than that paycheck, that indirectly helps you control your spending if you have spending issues. A lump sum, there's no one to, to control that for you, you know, unless you get a third party to manage it, you put it in a trust or something. But assuming you don't and you have difficulties uh, keeping your spending in check, a lump sum could, could potentially be dangerous for you, which ultimately can lead to you outliving it, which, like I said, circles back to that first con. So that was the second con. It may spend it too quickly, especially if you have uh, spending uh, issues. Third con is is investment risk. You you take investment risk when you take the lump sum. Now with a traditional pension, all that risk lies with the pension plan administrator. The the onus is on them to make sure the investments in the plan perform well enough so that they have money to pay you and everyone else who's uh, who's receiving pensions from them now and in the future. So the risk is all on them. When you take the lump sum, the risk is all on you and how you choose to invest it. Or if you hire an advisor, you know your advisor is kind of in on the uh, the risk management. But nonetheless, you know, it, it ultimately resides in your hands. So this can go a few ways. If you want to be super conservative, you know you don't you're not willing and able to lose any of it. You can simply park it all in cash and bank accounts and CDs and money markets, whatever. You won't lose any principal value, but the downside is the interest you're getting will not keep up with inflation. So while you're not losing principal, you, you will be losing buying power, which in essence, you, you are ultimately still losing money if you just park your lump sum in cash. The other extreme, be super aggressive with it, put it all in highly speculative investments, whether it's startup stocks or crypto assets or uh, you know your crazy cousin newest get rich quick scheme. I, I don't know. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. You know that that could be a dangerous position. Again, th- this is your life savings. This is what you you may potentially need to get you through retirement. You don't want to have it disappear from from making bad investments. So you, you have investment risk. That, that's the third con. The fourth con: uh, emotional distress. 
If you are a risk-averse person, you get antsy, you get agita, you get heartburn watching your account statements fluctuate. Uh, you watch CNBC, and you know it, it makes you you get acid in your throat, and uh, you, you know you struggle to watch that, and you're an anxious person about it. Emotionally distressed, trouble sleeping by by seeing the market go down and seeing your statement values move. That's not good. You know, when you have a lump sum, that that is very possible. All those things can manifest themselves. When you have a pension, it's it's like a paycheck. You know, it shows up every month. You know, it's coming. Uh, so if you're the type of person that that wants and needs that stability, that consistency, that surety, that not having to worry about what are the markets doing, then um, you know a, a lump sum. It, it, that's one of the big fat cons about the lump sum is you do have to worry about all these things. So that's the four cons that I came up with of a lump sum, which is which kind of kind of hokey because again they they really boil down to the one you can outlive it. You know that that's the huge major con. The other one I mentioned was you can spend it too quickly especially if you have spending issues. The third one was you're taking on investment risk, either being too conservative or too aggressive. And the fourth one was sort of the emotional distress and anxiety that, that, can, that can come about as a result of these other few cons we talked about. So that's the pros and cons to think about with it. So, so let me now give you a bit of a framework to actually help you try to decide what option might be right for you. So I came up with four questions. And again, this isn't necessarily comprehensive. These are the four that I think are, are most meaningful and impactful for most, if not all people. But this isn't to say this is completely comprehensive. So the four questions to ask yourself. First one, do I need additional guaranteed lifetime income? So how do you know if you do? Well, well here, here's a basic schematic for how to think about it. Think about all your total expenses you're going to have, whether it's now or in 10 years. These will change, but try to come up with some sort of estimate of what you think your total expenses will be and figure out how much of those are, are necessities. And I'm not talking about the bare minimum to keep you out of living in complete squalor. I mean a decent, reasonably dignified life. For those of you that listen to Jim Solner and Chris Stein's Retirement and IRA Show podcast, which is one of my favorites and highly recommend it, they use the term minimum dignity floor to define the sort of minimum amount of money you need to live a dignified life, not a lavish life, but not a complete squalor life. So look at your total expenses and figure out how much of those are this minimum dignity floor or you know basics that, that you need. And, and how much of those basics will be covered by sources of guaranteed lifetime income, of which there's only three, social security, annuities, or traditional traditional pensions. Uh, I'm not including dividend income, I'm not including bond interest. While those things may and historically could have been very stable, they're not guaranteed. They can stop, they can be changed, the company behind them can go bankrupt or uh, otherwise change their, their dividend payout or interest payouts. So again, there's only three sources of guaranteed income, social security, annuities, or pension. So let's put some quick numbers to this. Let's assume you have $100,000 in total expenses, 60000 of which are your necessary stuff. And you're going to have, let's say, $40,000 of Social Security. So now you're, you're about 20 grand short of covering your $60,000 of necessary expenses with sources of guaranteed secure lifetime income. And so, so why, why, let's step back a bit. Why would you potentially want to cover your, your projected minimum expenses with guaranteed lifetime income? Well, simply because even if and when the rest of your assets run out, if you have enough guaranteed income coming in to at least cover your basics, you know you'll be okay. You know, you're not going to be living on the street. You'll be able to eat reasonable stuff. You'll be able to get to and from doctor's appointments and visits and, you know, uh, friends' houses. So, so that's why. So no matter how bad things get with the markets or your investments, if you always have the lifetime paycheck showing up to cover at least the basics, then you're ultimately good. So, so that's the example I'm, I'm, I'm using here. 100,000 total expenses, 60 of which are necessary things. 
and you're going to have 40,000 of income from social security. So that 40,000 alone isn't covering the 60. So maybe you know you have a gap of 20. You, ideally maybe you get another $20,000 of guaranteed lifetime income from somewhere such that that 20 plus your 40 of social security covers your 60,000 of anticipated necessary expenses each year. So if your pension, if you take the traditional monthly payment ends up being about 20 grand a year, well there you go. Maybe that 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 could help with the answer. That plus social security covers your basics so that any additional monies you have saved in 401k, IRA, brokerage account, whatever, that can be your sort of pot of money for discretionary and fun stuff. Not that I want it to deplete for you, but if and when it does down the road, you'll ultimately be okay because your basics will be covered in our example by social security and your pension. So that so that uh, that that's sort of the first question. Do I need additional guaranteed lifetime income? So how do you know you know do you quote unquote need it? Well, well this is sort of the the basic thought process to uh, to put to this. The other extreme, if if you have so much investable assets that the amount you have to take from it is tiny, such that there there's negligible chance of you ever running out of assets, then no, then maybe you don't need additional income, guaranteed income. So use the same example. Your total expenses are be about 100000 a year, of which 60000 are your necessary basic stuff. And you'll have $40,000 of Social Security coming in. So there's this $20,000 gap, if you will, to cover your, your basics, plus another forty of other discretionary stuff. So that's you know another sixty grand total to co- on top of your Social Security to cover your $100,000 of total expenses. So, but if you got, let's just say, $5 million of investable assets already saved, and you're only going to need to pull out twenty grand a year for for your basic expenses and another forty for your fun stuff. That's sixty thousand dollars in total per year that you're pulling out of a portfolio of five million dollars. That's that's barely over one percent. That, that's like that's like a one point two percent annual withdrawal rate, which I think anyone in the industry, even under the worst of market circumstances, can say, yeah, a $5 million portfolio can easily support that level of withdrawals. So so no, you don't necessarily need the guarantee and stability of lifetime income. Maybe you do go ahead and take the lump sum. So that's first question. Do you need additional lifetime income? Second question, am I risk averse? Risk averse means you do not like taking financial risk. Emotionally, you're not into it. As the words I used before, it gives you anxiety, gives you agita, gives you heartburn, gives you stress, you lose sleep over it, overseeing and taking financial risk. So answer the question, am I risk averse, yes or no? Third question, and I'll get to in a moment what you do with the answer to these questions. Third question, am I okay leaving less to my heirs? As I mentioned before, when you take a traditional uh, pension payment, the payments will last for your life, maybe continue on for the life of your spouse, but that's it. When you're both gone, there's typically nothing left. So if you wanted, if it's important to you, to, to leave some sort of nest egg or some sort of pot to your kids or your friends or, or your charity, favorite charities, traditional pension might not be the right answer because you know the, there will be nothing left at the end of that pension. Whereas if you take a lump sum, you, you very likely may have something left to leave. So that's the third question. Am I okay leaving less to my heirs? And fourth, do I have above average, I'm sorry, do I have above average longevity? Longevity is simply, as I mentioned before, how long you think you might live. Most traditional pensions are are calculated based on the assumption that you, the pensioner, will live till your early, maybe mid 80s. So if you have reason to believe you may live beyond that, like if you have family history of living well into your 90s, 
or if you took some sort of online calculator, like living to 100, which I referenced in my, my first uh, episode back about how much money do I need to retire? You can see a, a link in the show notes for that calculator. If, you, if, you, if using those sources, you think, yeah, I might live well until my 90s, well, then maybe the, the pension is the right answer for you because, again, you can't outlive that. You can outlive a lump sum. So that's the fourth question. Do I have above average longevity? So what do you do with these answers? Well, if you answered yes to all four of these, then chances are taking the traditional pension might be best for you as opposed to the lump sum. If your answers are split, you know, maybe you answer two yeses, two noes, that, that's a bit more of a judgment call at that point. Then it's not so black and white which answer is right for you. Or at the other end of the spectrum, if you answered no to all four questions and, you know, hands down, uh, the, the, well, not hands down, but most likely the right answer for you is to take the lump sum as opposed to the traditional pension. Now, there is actually a fifth question I wanted to throw in, and I, I sort of struggle. I, I didn't want to put it in with the original four because in my mind, it, it, it's, I don't call it an afterthought, but it's not as important as the first four together. I, in my opinion, this fifth question is really sort of a tiebreaker if you did have split answers to the first four questions. And this fifth question is, where are interest rates now? Uh, and you could think about this relative to where they've been or relative to where they might go in the near term. So why does this matter? Well, the way the, the actuarial, you know, the financial math of, of coming up with the lump sum amount works is that all else equal, the higher interest rates are, the lower the lump sum amount will be, and vice versa. The lower interest rates are, the higher the lump sum amount will be. So if you're on the fence, you know, you answer the first four questions, two were yes, two were no. You, so you're kind of on the fence. Do I take the pension? Do I take the lump sum? Yeah, maybe use this fifth question as a tiebreaker. So if, if interest rates are historically low right now, that will mean your lump sum is going to be calculated as historically high. So if you're on the fence, may, maybe this is what puts you over. Like, yep, this is sort of a potentially once in a lifetime shot here to get a real fat, juicy lump sum. Let me go do it. Or vice versa. If, uh, if rates are really high or rates have rallied up strongly from where they were a year or two prior and, you know, it's, it's at a recent high, then maybe no. Then maybe, eh, you know, this, this lump sum is going to be lower than it would have been last year or whatever. Now, the danger with this is that this is market timing. I'm not an advocate of market timing in any way, shape or form, which is also why I struggle to even include this question. So by by using your um, guess or speculation about where you think interest rates may go, your market timing, you can be wrong, right? If you take your lump sum now because interest rates are low and you're afraid they're going to go up, which means your lump sum value will go down, you're speculating about the future of interest rates. And that could be dangerous. Maybe you're right. Maybe you get it right. Or maybe you're wrong. Maybe interest rates, for whatever reason, end up going down further instead of uh, instead of going up. Economics, macroeconomics is a funky, squirrely thing, man. It's, it's, it's uh, lots of emotion and irrationality to it. It's, it's much more of an art than a science. As much as people like to think, they can put numbers and, and, and rationalizations to quantify and predict what's going to happen with things like global interest rates. Uh, at, at the end of the day, frankly, it's, no one really knows. So anyway, th do with that question as you please. Again, don't make or break your decision based on that, but... Um, maybe it's a good tiebreaker. Again, where interest rates? If rates go up, present, uh, lump sums go down. If rates go down, lump sums go up. You can ask your plan administrator to let you know what is the payment um, so the lump sum payment calculation process. So you can try to get a gauge for 
you know, if interest rates go up by 1%, how much is that going to change the value of my lump sum? If it's not going to change it much, then maybe you don't let this fifth question um, really influence your decision much, if at all. Or if they tell you, yeah, a, a 1% change in interest rates is going to move your, your pension value by 10%, that could be some real money you're talking about. So now there's no rock solid way to, to at least not an easy way to nail down exactly how these things may change. Because again, you can't predict what interest rates are going to do. And chances are you, you might struggle to, to make sense of how your pension plan administers, uh, how, how they value your pension. But you can at least look to see the the underlying interest rates that most, if not all, I think, pension plans piggyback off of when calculating lump sums. The IRS puts out every month what they call segment rates. And there's three different segments. Uh, and th these rates are loosely based on averages of, of corporate bond interest rates. So what happens is the IRS publishes this table. And there will be a link to this in the show notes where the first segment is the first zero to five years of a pension slash retirement. The second segment is the next six to, or, or the sixth to the 20th year. And the third segment is from the 21st year and beyond. So the IRS table publishes rates for each of those three segments. So when pension plan administrators do this present value actuarial calculation of your lump sum, they look to these IRS interest rates and they break down your pension into these three segments or buckets and then use these IRS rates as a starting point for how they how they come up with the value of your lump sum. There's more to it than this. The, these IRS segment rates are just the starting point. It, it's the minimum interest rate that plans could use in valuing your lump sum. Um, each plan can have its own twist and turn on this, and they can layer on uh, so, some some spread to these IRS segment rates. So these aren't the end all be all, but nonetheless, you can you can look at this table if you're curious and seeing trends of how uh, pension lump sum valuation interest rates have uh, have moved over time. It's a pretty cool thing to see. The other big thing to consider is the, the health or the fundedness of your pension plan. Now, fundedness, funny sounding word, but it refers to the, or how much money your pension plan has relative to how much it thinks it's going to need to ultimately pay out all the guarantees, all the promises it's made to, to its uh, current and future retirees. So this, again, involves some financial math, some, some actuarial valuations. They'll, they'll look and say, okay, we have whatever, a thousand current retirees getting in, in total, you know, X amount of dollars per month. We anticipate of current employees that we have still working, you know, there's going to be another 300, let's say, retiring in the next five years, and they're going to get payments of, of Y dollars per month in total. So based on projections of how much they think they're going to have to pay out, they'll do some, some basic financial math and come up with what present value amount of money, how much money do we need today to effectively be set aside to uh, make good on all our pension payments going forward. That's called the fundedness ratio. If it's 100% or more, it simply means there's enough money in the pot today to, uh, to pay out anticipated payments going forward. If the fundedness ratio is below 100%, it means there is not enough money today to pay out all the uh, promised payments going forward. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you or other pensioners will get skunked if the fundedness ratio is below 100%. Companies can change it, and, and pensions last for decades. So there's lots of things that, that can change for good, bad, or indifferent with these plans and their fundedness ratios. So don't be too concerned if your plan is, is, a, is a little underfunded. Um, if it's a lot underfunded, that's a different story. Now, how much is a lot? I, I don't know. I mean, if your plan is only half funded, meaning it has only a 50% fundedness ratio, 
I'd probably be a little concerned about that. And, and that should probably influence your decision, whether you take the lump sum, you know, take your money and run or take the traditional pension payments, which, which uh, have a higher likelihood of not being there or, or potentially being reduced at some point because the plan is so ill-funded at the point, at this point. Um, some other things to consider with, with the health and the fundedness. If you, if your pension is from a public employer, like, like your town, your state, local municipality, police department, whatever, there's not usually, if ever, any sort of formal backstop or guarantee behind these plans. Um, so if, if the municipality goes bust, in theory, the plan dries up and stops, you know, worst case scenario. Now, in reality, what's nice about public plans, whether it's federal or state or local municipality, they have the ability to tax, to raise taxes, you know, to get additional money from the townspeople or the state's residents or, or you know, whatever. To uh, They can increase taxes if push comes to shove and, and help bolster and get some more money to the pension plan by raising taxes. That's a powerful tool. Not to say, um, you know, if, if a plan is so grossly underfunded that they need to raise taxes to ridiculous levels, there, there may be a revolt and people flee the state or the town and this whole plan backfires. But in theory, public employers have the ability to raise tax to uh, to help get some more money into the into the into the pot for pensions. So that that's a good tool, even though there's no formal backstop, to my knowledge, with public plans with private plans. So you work for you know a, a, a corporation, not not a local government or something. They do have a backstop. There's a federal insurance fund or system called the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corp., otherwise known as PBGC. And it's a, it's a pot that all private employers or pensions have to pay into. They, they pay insurance premiums, basically. And it's there such that if and when these private employers ever have financial troubles and go bust, and, or their, their plans go bust, I should say, and they can't maintain them, PBGC steps in and they start administering and and, and uh, paying these plans to the pensioners on behalf of the defunct um, you know employer pension plan there's there's two kinds of employer pension plans in, in sort of two different buckets of insurance monies at PBGC one is for uh, multi-employer plans these are like if you work for a union union carpenter or electrician or whatever um, your, your employer may be a small plumbing shop or a carpentry shop or what have you. They may not have their own pension, but since they're part of the union, everyone else who's part of that union, all union members will be part of this combined union pension. This is called a multi-employer plan. And there's also single employer plans. Like if you work for, um, I'm just, I don't know why I'm picking them out, IBM or Microsoft or General Electric or whatever, you know, a single employer, they'll have their own plan that uh, is backstopped by PBGC. They're not pooled together with other large employers. They'll have their own plan. So why do I bring this up? There are two different pots of insurance money at PBGC. Historically, the last few years, the single employer coverage pot was healthy. It, it was, uh, you know, PBGC's backing of this was, I believe, more than 100% funded. The multi-employer pot was struggling. It was, uh, I forget the exact number, $43 billion underfunded or something as of a couple of years ago. But I just looked at the 2021 annual report for PBGC, and thankfully, the uh, plan's better. The multi-employer plan now is adequately funded. They have a bit of an excess, and the single-employer plans continue to be uh, that much healthier. So currently, PBGC is in, in a good spot. So if and when you have a pension that uh, is part of the PBGC and the pension goes bust, PBGC will step in and, and will cover some of your pension. Now, notice I said some. PBGC won't necessarily cover 
of the payment you were getting. There, there are maximums. Congress sets a limit. I, I don't know what they are, but it's based on your age. Um, the maximum amount of money that the PBGC will guarantee to cover for you is you know, X amount of $1,000 per month. So depending how generous your pension was, if it was if it was uh, you know a lofty amount of money you were getting, and and it was more so than what the PBGC is allowed to cover, then yes, then then you will not be made completely whole because PBGC can't cover all of your monthly payment. Even if the amount of pension you're getting is below the PBGC limit, in theory, if the PBGC is strained, they may not pay you 100 cents on the dollar. They may only be in a position to cover you know X cents per dollar, 90, 80, or whatever. I don't know what it is. But point is, you should get something. You should get some non-zero amount of pension out of the PBGC. So I, I wouldn't necessarily be too concerned if your company's pension is uh, a bit distressed, especially if it's a private employer because there is this PBGC system. If you work for a municipality or state that has a, a very stressed pension plan, that's a different story. Um, again, I'm not saying that should preclude you from taking the traditional pension, but uh, it, it definitely should be food for thought. All right. So that's it. Just just to wrap up, when making this decision, do you take the pension? Do you take the lump sum? Think about it very, very carefully. It's a difficult decision. It's probably one of the more impactful long-term financial decisions you can make as a retiree or a soon-to-be retiree. Don't just assume you can take the lump sum and do better. Again, using the past as a, as a gauge of the future, yes, if invested well, you, you probably can do better. But there are zero guarantees. What if we're about you know, we're on the precipice of some horrendously long, horrendously bad string of market returns that, that it's going to deplete your lump sum. That, that would be good. I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm just saying, you know, you can't compare something with a guarantee to something without a guarantee because they're, they're apples to oranges. Think about the intangible value of peace of mind and how much that is to you. Again, if you're one of those super risk averse people, the lump sum is going to make you sweat and lose sleep, then that, that might not be the answer for you. And make sure you think about this decision in the context of all of your other relevant aspects of your your personal and financial life. Your social security, how many annuities you have, if any, your life expectancy, your total expenses, your longevity, your legacy goals, if any. Um, All these things need to get boiled in the pot when making the decision of should you take the pension or should you take the lump sum. Well, that's that. Hope you enjoyed it. Definitely, if you like this, please uh, subscribe and please leave a, a nice review. That, that'll help other folks find this podcast. And if you like the content here, you'll definitely love my Facebook group, Taxes and Retirement, the YouTube channel, Retirement Planning Demystified, and my monthly newsletter, Retirement Planning Insights, which you can find links to all three of those in the show notes. And that's it. I will see you next week where I will be discussing the decision process around when you leave an employer, do you take the money in your 401k, 403b, TSP, and roll it to an IRA? Or do you leave it with the employer? That's another big decision a lot of people face. I'm looking forward to that one. I'm uh, confident you get a lot out of it. Until then, I will see you next time. The information discussed in this podcast is only general explanations and education. It is not specific tax, legal, or investment advice. Before considering acting on anything you heard here, first consult with your tax, legal, or investment advisor. Thank you. Thank you.